Let's go to Luke 19. We left off at the end of chapter 18 last week, so this morning we pick up in the 19th chapter in verse 1, and we're going to look this morning at Luke 19 from verse 1 down through verse 10 together. And while we're turning there, if you need a Bible, there's some guys coming up the aisles. You can hold your hand up and make sure you have a copy of God's Word to follow along in the Scriptures together with us. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And Father, we ask that you'd help us now this morning as we turn our hearts to the Word of God. We want to continue, Lord, in an attitude of worship as we sang and prayed and everything else that we've done in an attitude of worship thus far. Lord, we believe that your word and our submission to what it says to us and our obedience and our desire to be doers of the word and not hearers only is just as much a part of an act of worship to you. So would you help us now? Lord, whatever it takes in each and every one of us, prepare us by your Holy Spirit, make us alert and attentive, and we ask that you'd bless your word and that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that we wouldn't hear the words that are wise and persuasive of a man, but we would experience that demonstration of your spirit and your power speaking directly into each and every one of our lives, even as you did this day, to this man Zacchaeus. Speak to us now, Lord, bless your word, for we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think there is something about what's about to take place here as we turn the corner in another new year that really appeals to every human being. Uh, there's something about us that as we turn the corner on another new year and we begin, there's something within us, of course, that prompts that desire for the new year resolution. I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to shed this many pounds. And there's just something innately, I think, within every one of us that just always kind of desires this fresh start. There's something about us, the realization of our own disappointments of maybe who we are and what we wish we were or what we hope that we could become, that there's something that prompts us within that we just long and desire to have this new beginning. Well, listen, I want to encourage you this morning that that's exactly the reason that Jesus Christ came into our world so that he could offer to people a new beginning. 
When we look in the Bible regarding the work of Jesus Christ in people's lives, it speaks about how in Jesus we can be a new man. We can be a new individual. And if you're here this morning, and I wouldn't doubt the slightest bit that there are a few of you here this morning, that even right now there's something within you that says, you know what, boy, I would sure love to start all over again. To have a fresh start to have a new beginning. Well, you know, this passage really indicates very clearly that is exactly what Jesus Christ has come to do. In fact, when you look at the statement that Jesus makes there in verse 10, he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. In other words, he's seeking to indicate that the primary purpose for which Jesus Christ entered into our world is not often for the reasons that we think, or unfortunately, even in some church and ministry-related efforts, we seem to indicate Jesus did not come to improve the quality of social life. Jesus did not come to resolve political problems. Jesus did not primarily come to heal all sickness or even to eliminate poverty. The primary reason that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, entered into our world is to accomplish a search and rescue mission for lost souls that need to find their way. Verse 10 is really the point of the entire passage in this next story that we're looking at. The Son of Man has come to seek out and to save those who are lost, who need direction, who need to be rescued. Now, before we jump into chapter 19, just by way of an interesting sort of illustration of what we've learned about Jesus in prior passages, remember back in chapter 18, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that story where Jesus is approached by this man who we're told is rich, he was young, he was a ruler, he had everything possible that people would seem to desire in this life, but yet he came to Jesus, still it seems searching for something. He says, what may I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus recognizing that though he was a very moral man and by all means he really seemed to have it together in his life Jesus realized there was still one problem and that is that the God of his life was that his wealth was still what ruled him and it wasn't necessarily that his wealth was wrong that could be something different in every person's life but his God the thing that was ruling him and controlling him in his particular situation was the wealth that he possessed. So Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell all that you have, go give it away, and then come and follow me. Let me be the God on the throne of your heart. Let me be the one who rules you and directs your life. Come follow me. And remember, it says that man went away sad because of his great riches. In other words, he turned down the opportunity to follow Jesus and let Jesus rule and be on the throne of his heart because he wasn't ready to dethrone the thing that ruled over him. And he chose, by his own free will, to walk away from the invitation that Jesus was extending to him. At which point, Jesus then, no doubt greatly grieved, seeing this man exercise his free will to reject Jesus, Jesus said the words, remember, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus realized, you know what, that's a unique challenge that a wealthy person has because there's a sense of self-sufficiency and independence in their spirit and, and in a sense their wealth can be their God. It can solve their problems. And Jesus says, boy, it's tough 
Not because he was being critical, but because he was compassionately saying, it's tough to be in that spot. They are in a real tough spot because they've got to overcome things that other people don't have to. Remember, at that point, the disciples said, well, Lord, who can, who can be saved then? And Jesus says, that which is impossible with men is possible with God. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, you're right. It takes a miracle for somebody's life to change. And the miracle is that they need to allow God's involvement in their life. But the moment they allow God's involvement in their life, then the impossible thing that they can't do for themselves instantly becomes possible because with God, all things are possible. Now, I bring that up in relation to what we're looking at this morning because Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God and experience God's salvation. But he said it's not impossible for what's impossible with men is possible with God. And take note now in chapter 19, no coincidence, the Holy Spirit records for us an illustration of the reality of what Jesus said. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Because what do we find now? A very rich man whose life is revolutionized by an encounter with Jesus Christ. Is it hard? Yes, but Jesus says it's not impossible. It is not impossible because he sets before us here in this next scene a particular story that illustrates how it is possible to overcome that challenge for the rich person. And let me go one step further to say it is possible to overcome any challenge or any obstacle or any life-dominating habit, or any current condition, no matter how lost anybody can be, it is possible to overcome that and still experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus sets before us this story to show the power of Jesus to transform any life. That anybody can have a new beginning. This is a picture of a person who becomes a man with a changed heart and he becomes a brand new individual and it illustrates that i think to encourage us with this today if you want a new start on your life you don't even have to wait till new year's if you want a new start on your life all you need to do is let jesus christ supply that for you all you need to do is submit and surrender to what Jesus wants to do for you, and that's this. He wants to change your life. He wants to transform your life, and he has the power to do that, and he's seeking to save you from the lost condition you're in, whatever it may be, and give you that brand new start on life. Well, look with me into chapter 19, verse 1. It tells us at this point Jesus now enters and passes through Jericho. Now, our last story, Jesus was entering into Jericho. We told you Jericho is about 18 miles from Jerusalem. It was a very wealthy city in Israel in that day. In fact, it was called the City of Palms. And in many ways, if we could illustrate, it was kind of like the Palm Springs of ancient Israel. It was an affluent area to live. It had a great climate. It was populated. It was heavily trafficked. It was a border city. It even was the home of a Herodian palace in that area. So it was like the Palm Springs of that day, this area. And because of its situation and due to many factors, it was also a location where tax revenue was quite extensive. That's why we find Zacchaeus here, this chief tax collector. It's at this point, the Bible tells us, Jesus enters and passes, he's now passing through Jericho. Now as Jesus foretold, this is his last journey now toward Jerusalem where he would then suffer on the cross for our sins 
and then he would raise again the third day. And as he is en route to Jerusalem now, the shadow of his upcoming sufferings are very real to Jesus at this point because he's on his way for the last time into Jerusalem. But in the same way the shadows of those sufferings are real, so also is very real to Jesus the whole reason he was coming to suffer and endure what he did. And that was so that he would be justly able to fully seek and save anyone from any lost condition that they were in. In fact, quite honestly, that is why Jesus is specifically passing through Jericho at this point in time. Remember, Jesus didn't do anything in vain. God never does anything in vain. And there was more than one route to Jerusalem. He wasn't passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem because it was the only route. The reason Jesus is passing through Jericho, as we saw, is because Jesus spent his time pursuing people and always reaching out and trying to connect with individuals for the sake of the kingdom of God. It was the desire of Jesus to see people helped and transformed by the power of God. That's why last time in chapter 18 we saw Jesus entering into Jericho and encountering the blind man and opening his eyes. And the reason Jesus is now passing through and out of Jericho is because Jesus has another divine appointment on his agenda and it's the very man that he encounters in this next scene. And the specific reason Jesus is moving the way he is is because Jesus was driven by the desire within him to always want to pursue people, to reach out to people, and to find ways to use his time to help connect people to God. And would to God that the spirit of Jesus within us would direct us to go where we go and do what we do and spend the time that we do and, and interact with the people that we do for the motivating reason within as a Christian that whatever I do, I want to use my time and connect with people and do things to help see people encounter the power of God in their life. And that's what we see Jesus doing. And the wonderful thing is this, as he's entering now, passing through Jericho, this day some, some pretty major walls are going to fall in Jericho once again. But this time it's not the physical walls of the city like in Joshua. This time the walls that are going to fall in Jericho are the walls that a human being has put up in their life. And those walls are going to come crashing down. They're the walls internally inside a person who needs to let those walls come down that they might allow Jesus to enter in and become a part of their life. And the man that that's going to be, as we read here, is a man named Zacchaeus. We meet in chapter uh, 19, verse 2. It says, Behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus who, notice, was a chief tax collector, and the Bible says he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the large crowd. And Zacchaeus was a man who was vertically challenged. It says he was of short stature. So he ran up ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he knew that he was about to pass by that way. So at this point, we're introduced to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, we see, curiously sought to see who Jesus was for himself. First of all, take note with me in verse 2 of the position or status in Zacchaeus's life. It tells us that he was a chief tax collector, and the Bible says he was rich. Now again, remember, the Romans taxed everything. We think we have it bad. They taxed the air that you breathed. They taxed the land that you lived on, your income, your property, sales tax, road tax. 
And we've talked before about what a tax collector did. A tax collector was given a certain quota from the Roman government that they were supposed to collect. And, and in a district, so much was to come in, to be collected, to be given for that district to the government of Rome. And the tax collector knew what that quota was that he had to turn in. But anything he could extort and get from the people beyond that quota that he had to turn in, that was his income. So you were motivated to live as lucratively as you could because people didn't know what that quota was in every way you could to tax the people and to extort as much as you could to enrich yourself personally. And the Romans, as long as you turn in that quota, they kind of overlooked and turned a blind eye to anything the tax collectors did to take tax money from the people. So because of that, Jews hated and despised tax collectors. They were perceived as turncoats. They were their Jewish brethren working for the Roman occupation, and they were stealing money from their own brethren. And everybody knew, because no one knew what the exact amounts were, that tax collectors were in the business of, of really just ripping people off. And they would live quite lucratively and they would enrich themselves in a greedy, selfish spirit. And because of that, they were hated and despised. We see in the Bible them being put on the same level as, as, as prostitutes and some of the most notorious sinners that people would perceive in society. Tax collectors were hated. Nobody liked tax collectors. And yet it tells us here of Zacchaeus, take note, it says he was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector which means that he was a tax collector who basically supervised other tax collectors. Zacchaeus controlled the rights to multiple tax stations and he basically would then hire tax collectors to work under his management and he would receive a percentage of the income that they brought in as well. Now that being said, the occupation of a tax collector was already a pretty lucrative form of employment. Now, when you're a chief tax collector and you're drawing percentages from the people who you hire to manage underneath you as tax collectors at different revenue stations, you better bet your bottom dollar that this guy was really, really doing well. That's why the Bible says he was rich. A tax collector alone would be pretty wealthy, but this guy was a chief tax collector and ultimately he would become very wealthy. Now we're told about the curiosity, however, and the desire in Zacchaeus to want to see something about Jesus because it says, verse 3 and 4, that he sought to see who Jesus was because he heard that he was passing by that day and it says, because he, of the crowd and his short stature, he runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree trying to see where Jesus was going to pass by. Now, no doubt Zacchaeus, this man, had probably heard things about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, that was going all around Israel in that day. He had probably heard testimony and reports and he had become interested in wanting to know a little bit more about Jesus himself. Remember earlier to th this time, we're told of a man named Levi or Matthew who was also a tax collector who one day Jesus walked by where he was at and said to him, Levi, follow me. And this tax collector, Levi, it says, got up, left everything and followed Jesus. And he had this radical conversion. He heard the call of Jesus. He got up. 
He left everything in his life behind and he started to follow Jesus. And then what he did too, the Bible tells us, is he then hosted this dinner for Jesus as the guest of honor and he invited over more tax collectors and it says tax collectors and sinners. And he had this banquet for Jesus to want to introduce his other friends to Jesus that they might meet him too. Now no doubt, like in any occupational field, Word travels and stories are going around. And people are talking about this conversion of this tax collector, Levi, and how this man, Jesus, was hanging out with all kinds of tax collectors, those who people in the society hated. And words traveling around among the, the, the conversation loop of the occupation of tax collectors, of this conversion of this man who once was a tax collector himself, and he left it all, and now he's living for Jesus. And, and Jesus was hanging out with other tax collectors or very likely as well just the reports that are circulating around Israel on that day, Zacchaeus is hearing these things and now he hears that this man Jesus is actually passing through his town very close by and when he finds out, it tells us here, that the cause for the crowd was that Jesus was passing through Jericho where he was instantaneously he said, you know what, i got to see a little bit more about this man Jesus for himself. He was curious. And you can understand how Zacchaeus was thinking, who is this guy, Jesus, that everybody's talking about? I mean, what does he look like? And, and probably more than anything, what is it about him? Because I remember what Levi was like. And if Levi would leave everything to go follow Jesus, what is it about this guy? What is it about him that causes everybody to be so excited? What is it that's so special? And you could just picture the events and the thoughts in his mind as he's thinking, boy, I, I got to see him. I got, and, and, he's, and he's realizing, oh, I, I can't see over the crowd. And, and he's struggling with the shortness of his stature. And he's kind of coming up short and he can't work through his own limitations. So he gets this idea in his mind, I know right, if I can run up there. And, and he seems like he's heading that direction. So he kind of runs up and he finds a sycamore tree, which would have low hanging branches. And Zacchaeus, he's an achiever, right? He's one of those kind of personalities. He's not just a tax collector. He's become a chief tax collector. So nothing's going to hold him back. So yeah, I can resolve this. I'll just run up there, climb up a tree, position myself. I got to see who this guy Jesus is and find out a little bit more about him. And his spiritual curiosity really leads him to do some rather humble and can I say sort of childlike things. First of all, says that he runs. No Jewish man would run in that culture that was undignified, especially an influential man like this. It was undignified for a Jewish man to run. And then to top it off, here's this influential, professional, well-respected man. And what's he doing? In, in his long, flowing robe, he's climbing up a tree like a little eight-year-old boy, <laughs> climbing up through the branches. And, and here he is literally acting somewhat childlike, but I love the picture because it's a picture of a man who is driven within because he wants to learn more about Jesus. In fact, look what the language says. Verse 3 says, He sought to see who Jesus was. And he ran and he even climbed a tree because he said, I have got to see him for myself. J.B. Phillips translates this section by saying that Zacchaeus was wanting to see what sort of person Jesus was. 
Here's this guy doing his best to understand more personally, and his goal is quite clear. He simply wants to see who Jesus is for himself. He heard what everybody else was saying about him. He saw how everybody else responded to him. And at this point, he's at a spot where he is got a goal on his mind. I have got to see who Jesus is for myself. And can I say by way of application, I think that is one of the greatest pursuits that any human soul can engage in. To want to see who Jesus is for yourself. Man, I pray that the same spirit of curiosity that was working in the life of Zacchaeus in that day would direct each and every one of our hearts to want to seek out more and to see who Jesus is for ourselves. You know, if you're here this morning and you've been hearing things about Jesus and you've been watching other people who follow Jesus, my prayer is that the spirit of curiosity like it was in Zacchaeus in that day would prompt you and direct you, I don't care if you have to climb the Empire State Building, to do whatever you got to do to say, I have got to see who this Jesus is for myself. I hear what other people say about him and I watch other people and the way that they follow him, but you know what? I got to know for myself. I want to know who this Jesus is for myself. I pray that God's Spirit would direct you to do that because I tell you, God will honor that and you'll find him. I pray that you'd want to see who he is for yourself. And I pray this morning, even if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, that, that you wouldn't be content with just hearing what other people are saying about their experience with Jesus, but that something within you, if you're genuinely saved, would never lose the heart that says, you know what, but I want to see who he really is for myself. That if you're a young person, you've been raised in a Christian home, that you wouldn't be content just living off of the fumes of what comes from your, spirits, your parents' spiritual journey, but that you'd say, you know, I've got to find out who Jesus really is for me. I want to see who he is for myself. I want, to, I want to experience Jesus for myself and know who he really is. Because the Lord honors that. And what a beautiful illustration this man is of someone who wants to see Jesus. Wants to know who he is for himself. I mean, this story to me really is quite astonishing. Consider too, Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, this rich man. Here's this gentleman. He's self-sufficient. Think about where he's at in life. He's self-sufficient. He's important. He's an influential man. He possesses a prestigious position. He has power. He has much possessions. He's been blessed with wealth to where he could live a very comfortable lifestyle. However, there's still something deep within him, it seems, that makes him realize there's still something more. And there's still this curiosity within him that we find prompting and driving him, apparently he's not content yet because if he was content, he'd say, who cares about this Jesus guy? I don't need this Jesus guy. Why do I care about this Jesus guy? There's still something in him. He's a picture of an individual who has everything that everybody else thinks should make someone content but realizes there's still something missing. There's still something missing in my life. And he's going to discover very soon that what's missing is Jesus. It's a relationship with God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And you find Zacchaeus, if I could say it in this way, 
with God allowing him to experience some divine dissatisfaction within his soul and that God-appointed divine dissatisfaction is there for one reason, that it might drive him to ultimately discover Jesus for himself. And you know what? That's just the way God works. I know it's one of the ways God, God got me. He let me go through some divine dissatisfaction. And he let me be in that nagging sense of dissatisfaction, no matter what I tried to fill myself with and what I tried to do, every time I put my head down on my pillow, like there was still something within me that said, there is something more that you are missing. That's why you're still not satisfied. You're still not at peace. You're still not happy and you never will be. And that divine dissatisfaction, potentially God's working it in you this morning to show you that what you need is more of Jesus. And God will use that to drive you to discover Jesus in your own life. In fact, Acts chapter 17 tells us that God has determined our pre-appointed times and the places that we live on this earth. It says this, so that we should seek the Lord in hope that we might reach for him and find him. See, the Bible teaches that God is so determined to draw you into relationship with him that God sovereignly predetermines the time in which you would live on this earth, the generation, the hour in which you would be on this planet, and even the places that you live, the family you are raised in, the place where you're at right now in your life, God has, has coordinated all those things in your life in such a specific way, knowing you and exactly the type of person you are. And God's coordinated all the affairs of your life to bring you to a spot where he says that we might ultimately Seek and reach out and find the Lord. There's no mistake in anything that has happened or is going on in your life. You are where you are at and living in the time that you're in and have experienced everything you have because God's primary concern is onefold. It gives you the best shot to find Jesus. So whether you are raised in a Christian home or whether you've had the most horrendous experience, God in his sovereign wisdom says, you know what, I know you, I know your personality, I know your idiosyncrasies, I know what you can handle and what this person can handle. And God says, I'm coordinating all the affairs of your life to put you in the best spot where you will really seek and reach out and find me for yourself and have a true and meaningful relationship. And that's what you find God doing with Zacchaeus here at this point in his life. And he's now starting to take some of his own personal steps to see who Jesus is for himself. So here he is. He's positioned up in this tree, waiting to see who Jesus is. And verse 5 says that when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Now take notice of this. Here's Zacchaeus and he thinks that he's the one seeking Jesus. The truth of the matter is all the while Jesus is the one seeking him. Because it tells us as Jesus passes through Jericho, notice he goes to the exact place where Zacchaeus is at. And knowing exactly where he is, he looks up and he speaks directly into the life of this man Zacchaeus who at this point they're total strangers, they never even met each other. And Jesus really was the one in reality that was seeking him. Jesus knew exactly where he was at and Jesus knew exactly where and how to find him. 
And you know what? Jesus knows exactly where everybody is at in this life. And he knows, ex he knows exactly where they're at. And he knows exactly where to go. And he will go right where they're at to seek them out and to find them. And it doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter if they're in a mental institution. It doesn't matter if they're in a drug rehab. It doesn't matter if they're in a metropolitan you know, location. It doesn't matter if they're in a rural location. It doesn't matter if they're in an abusive situation or they're in the most perfect situation with a silver spoon in their mouth. Jesus knows exactly where everybody is at and he will go wherever they are at to seek them and to find them, and he knows where they're at, and he knows how to reach them right where they are. And though they never met, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, and he knew everything about Zacchaeus. You imagine how shocked he probably almost fell out of the tree when he said, Zacchaeus! I guarantee you that Zacchaeus, if he's much like us, he wasn't wanting people to know here he is like a goofball up like a little kid in a tree, you know, hanging on, trying to look down. Here's this dignified man. People already hated him in the culture. And now he's up in a sycamore tree trying to look down and see who Jesus is. And Jesus stops the whole parade and he says, Zacchaeus. He knew his name. He knew more than his name. He knew everything about Zacchaeus. He knew all his fears. He knew all Zacchaeus' regrets as a man. He knew all the insecurities inside Zacchaeus and the struggles and his emptiness. He knew how Zacchaeus, though he might have put on a tough austerior, was probably really hurt and bothered by the way people thought of him and the things they said about him. He knew all the walls that Zacchaeus had put up inside of his life just so he could get by in the dog-eat-dog -dog world that he had to live in as a chief tax collector. Jesus knew it all. He saw all the walls he had put up just to, just to get by day by day. Jesus knew everything about him. And you know what? Jesus knows everything about everybody. He knows. He's fully aware. And the beautiful thing is knowing all those things, Jesus chose and invited himself right into this man's life. He said, Zacchaeus, I wonder what Zacchaeus was expecting to hear. You stinking Jewish rat of Israel. Zacchaeus, I want to spend time with you. Zacchaeus, get down here right away. I must. Come to your house today. And it, you can sense that there was something so authoritative and so loving at the same time as Jesus was speaking right into the window of this man's soul and it was in the language of the heart. Something supernatural was taking place as the Son of God was speaking into the soul of this man as he called his name. And I'll tell you something. When Jesus calls your name and Jesus speaks to you, it is the most powerful experience that can happen on this planet. If you've had it happen to you before, you understand it. And I tell you this, when Jesus calls your name and you know that he's speaking to your soul, there is no denying what's taking place. And Jesus speaks into Zacchaeus' life and this has a profound effect upon his man because verse 6 says, look, he made haste and he came down and he received, it says, Jesus joyfully. So this personal encounter has a powerful impact in a way that Zacchaeus responds, it says, without delay and deep appreciation. No doubt Zacchaeus would have been shocked, as the other people are who complain in verse 7, that Jesus was asking to stay with him. Rather than go to the house 
of a priest or maybe a synagogue ruler to stay for dinner that day in Jerusalem or rather than go to the home of some godly, righteous Jewish family, instead Jesus publicly indicates Zacchaeus, I want to spend time with you. He would have been astonished. He would have been totally humbled. Nobody wanted to spend time with a guy like Zacchaeus. But Jesus did. Jesus picked the most unlikely individual. And he would have been overwhelmed by the grace of God that was being shown to him, realizing of all people, you're picking me? You want to hang out with me? You want to spend time with me? And no doubt that perpetuated within him this sense of deep appreciation whereby, notice, he quickly responds without any delay or excuse. It says he came down quickly and it says he received Jesus joyfully. And can I say this morning, today, I believe, because Jesus, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is still seeking to enter into people's lives. And he is still, just like this day, calling people by name and telling them, I want to enter your world. Bob or Sam or, or Sally or Susie, I, I want to enter your world. Let me into your life. I must be a part of your life. Isn't it strange that God's begging to be part of our life? I must spend time with you. I want to be a part of your life. And how that should humble us and astonish us. And the response of Zacchaeus is exactly what Jesus is looking for. Zacchaeus responded without delay and without excuses. And he embraced Jesus. And it says that he received Jesus joyfully or with great appreciation. Jesus calls our name. Jesus reaches out to us. Jesus seeks us and tries to draw us. But the reality is, the Bible teaches that we are directly involved with how we respond. John chapter 1 tells us this. Jesus came to his own, it says, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you hear that? How we respond is critical. Jesus is always reaching. Jesus is always drawing. Jesus is always saying, hey, receive me, respond to me, let me be a part of your life. But it says when Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. They rejected him. But it says as many as did receive him, those he gave the right to become children of God. How we respond to Jesus affects everything. You can reject Jesus, I don't recommend it, or you can receive Jesus and then you will see the power of God take place in your life as you become a child of God and as the more you respond to Jesus, he will give you the rights and entitlements to the supernatural power of God's spirit to change and transform things in your life. But you have to have a receptive and a responsive attitude towards Jesus. Here we find Zacchaeus responding the way God would have us respond. He received Jesus quickly and joyfully. And verse 7 says, But when they saw it, and we don't know who they is, <clears throat> they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest. Shows you what culture thought of him. He had gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So as people watched what Jesus did reaching out to this man, they found fault with what Jesus was doing. 
as I said, they would be thinking in their minds, why would he spend time with this guy? Why not go to the home of a priest? Why not go to the home of a religious leader or a synagogue ruler? Why not eat dinner and say, hey, I want to stay at the house tonight of someone who is a godly and a righteous Jew. Why would he pick this man? Why would he want to spend time with him? It astonished them. They're thinking, what's he thinking? It says they complained. He's going to eat with a sinner? Well, obviously, first of all, they were jealous because he chose to stay with Zacchaeus rather than apparently maybe one of them. And I find this still happens at times. People become critical and complain, and a lot of times it's just a result of jealousy. They're upset because Jesus chose or, or God you know, elected or appointed someone else instead of them so, so that they get upset. The thing that's interesting, too, is they say he's going to eat with a sinner. Hello? Everybody's a sinner. <laughs> they had lost their spiritual perspective. Everybody's going to eat with a sinner. Well, what are you? I don't care if you have a priest robe on. You're a sinner like everybody else. They had lost their spiritual perspective. They had lost the realization of really who they were as they were looking down their nose at Zacchaeus. Now, it seems that there's a time gap that happens now between verse 7 and verse 8. And though we don't have details, apparently a dinner takes place, no doubt during which Jesus and Zacchaeus have conversation and discuss what it means to become right with God relationally. Remember, Zacchaeus has an attitude of anticipation and curiosity. He wants to find out who Jesus is for himself. Well, Jesus is always going to honor that kind of attitude. If somebody wants to know who Jesus is, you can guarantee he will make sure they find out. And on top of that, Jesus loves to share with people God's plan for their life. So no doubt, through questions and conversations, Jesus and Nicodemus are sharing together more of who Jesus is and what it meant to become a follower and how to be right and ready for heaven. And understanding God's plan of salvation, Zacchaeus believed what Jesus shared and chose to respond to Jesus' extension of an offer to follow him. Now, the reason that I know that is because in verse 9, Jesus himself says of Zacchaeus' new condition, today salvation has come to this house. So a conversation transpired whereby Zacchaeus responded to Jesus and experience salvation. We don't have it recorded, but in the next picture in verse 8, you see the fruit or the evidence of the salvation, verse 9 talks about, in Zacchaeus' life. Because all of a sudden, the next thing we read is the evidence of the salvation experience from Zacchaeus, because it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So here is now the evidence indicating what Jesus said, that this man Zacchaeus experienced salvation. Because when you look at the words and the attitude of Zacchaeus right there, that's not typical of a tax collector. I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And if I've ripped anybody off, which he had, I'm going to give fourfold back in restitution. That, no doubt, would make everybody take a double take. What? Is that Zacchaeus? That's not the attitude of Zacchaeus. That's not how tax collectors act. And when you look at the declarations of Zacchaeus, you can tell something miraculous has happened in his heart. He calls Jesus Lord, 
And then he addresses Jesus with his ideas, looking for Jesus' approval of what he wants to do. Look at his declarations. Lord, I'll give half my goods to the poor. Jesus didn't demand that. Jesus never required that he do that. That's his own. It's just a changed heart he has. He wants to be generous now. He says, Lord, if I've stolen or taken from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold back to them. Now, again, that was way beyond what Mosaic law said anybody had to do in relation to restitution. Jesus didn't demand that. Jesus was not asking that. It was just the generous overflow of his heart wanting to make things right with God and men. And this is set before us. Please don't miss it because God wants us to see this is a brand new man. When you look at Zacchaeus, it's clear this guy's experienced a heart change. He's not the same Zacchaeus that was hanging out in the tree a few hours earlier. This is a brand new man. He's been changed and transformed. And the evidence of his dramatic change is seen in his attitude and the words coming out of his mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is set before us to show us that this guy has been transformed. The spirit of selfishness, it's not there anymore. The greedy attitude, it's been dramatically changed. This guy's interests are totally different now. He wants to be honest with everybody. He doesn't want to lie and cheat people anymore. And you can tell within his attitude and his words, he wants to make things right before God and with his fellow man. And let this serve as a reminder as you look at the transformation of this guy Zacchaeus, that Jesus is in the business, listen, not just, not just of saving people from sin and hell. Oh, he is. But he's not just in the business of saving people from sin and hell. He is also in the business of changing people's lives. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. And this morning, as I said at the beginning, Please take heart. It does not matter where you are at this morning. If you let Jesus have access to work in your life, he can bring powerful, life-changing things into who you are and to what he wants you to become. Jesus can change you. He can change your attitudes. He can change your interests. He can change your priorities. He can change your perspectives. Jesus can change you. He's a life changer. All the old you can be gone. You can be somebody that God intends for you to be if you let Jesus work in your life. Maybe you're sick of who you are. Let Jesus change you. Let him. He has the power to do it. He did it in Zacchaeus' life. And today, if you'll let him work in your life, he can make you a brand new individual. He can make you what you're not and what you long to be. Verse 9, Jesus says, Today, as I said, salvation he knew had come to that house because he also is a son of Abraham, not just nationally a Jew, but because he had received by faith the gift of salvation. He therefore became a spiritual son of Abraham. If you're a Bible student, Romans 4 describes in greater detail what Jesus is speaking about here in the fourth chapter of Romans. Verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Again, Jesus' point to the whole story and account set before us, the reason he came was to search and to rescue lost souls on this earth. Interesting to me that Jesus describes the condition of an unconverted person 
Someone who doesn't know Jesus personally. Someone whose sins who are not forgiven. Someone who is not ready to go to heaven. Jesus describes the condition of that person as someone who is lost. Someone who's lost. You know, when a person is lost, it means they've wandered off course. They've gone astray. They don't know where they're at. And they need assistance to find their way back to the right path. And let me say this. People don't get lost purposely. It just happens through human failure. And the same is true spiritually. Without any intentional effort, people become lost due to sin and human failure in all of us. And the Bible says that our sins are what separate us from God presently and can separate us from God eternally. And when someone is lost, they need help to discover the right way. If somebody's really lost, they need somebody right to go and find them and to show them the right way because they can't find it on their own. And the same is true spiritually. Every human soul, because we're lost in sin and trespasses and in the darkness of that sin, we need to be rescued. We need to be saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And how do we see? Because Jesus said in John 3 that God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said, I am the way. Oh, I, I can't find my way. I can't find my way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. It's really not that complicated. Jesus is the way, and Jesus came to rescue people from the darkness of sin and to lead them into right relationship with God. And he is to this day still seeking lost people. And to this day still, he is the only one who has the power and the authority not just to seek lost people, but to save lost people. It's one thing somebody comes and searches for you. It's another thing if somebody has the ability to lead you out of what you're in. And Jesus, because of what he did, can save you from whatever you're lost in. Jesus can save you. Hey, this morning, may the Spirit of God prompt us as Christians to want to go and to seek out lost people and to see Jesus save them. And if you're here this morning and you're in that lost condition still and you know you're lost, listen, Jesus loves you and he's been seeking you. Let him save you. Let him save you. Shall we stand together and pray? Father, we ask as we turn our hearts in worship that your Holy Spirit would just move among us and that your Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, you know where we're at in our life and thank you that you love us enough to come after us, Lord. To come find us where we are and to reveal yourself to us and to draw us out of what we're in. And Lord, we pray your Spirit would do that this morning among us and that you would cause us to hear you speaking our voice and help us to respond in whatever way you would have us to this day. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.